We're talking with Denny Potvin here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach. Let's talk Al Arbor for a minute, because Al has that distinction of coaching those four Stanley Cup teams. Yeah. Sure. Why was he the right guy to coach that team or those well, teams? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, Bill Torrey and, and his his team did make very many mistakes. I mean, you know, uh, he hires Al Arbor to coach a young team with veterans on it. But given the record of the first year, it was pretty sure that, I mean, I'm thinking, I shouldn't do this, but I'm, I'm thinking for Bill Torrey, you know, this team needs to learn how to play defense. So I think that may have been his first thought. And as I mentioned before, you know, uh, you know, it's exactly what happened, you know, from right from the very beginning. So you're asking me, why was Al a good coach? Um, he was better prepared than any of us every night. I didn't find out till a couple of years later that Roger Nielsen, a great coach, and I love Roger, worked with him when he first came to the Florida Panthers. Great video, Roger video, all this yeah, stuff. I, didn't I learned many years later from Claire Arbor, <laughs> Al's wife, that after hockey games, Al would go home and go into his office and watch a video of the game we just played. And I thought to myself, that answers the question. Because I would go to practice the next morning and he might come up and skate to you and go, Denny, um, come here, I want to talk to you. What the hell were you doing uh, on this particular play in the corner in the second period? <laughs> you can see that for the bench. That's when I knew that he was using video, I think even before Roger Nielsen, but nobody talked about it. And he was a very humble man, you know, and everything he did was for us. And we talked a little bit about pushing the right buttons. Al knew every single player. There was guys that he could address in the dressing room, like myself, in front of the other players as I was captain. He'd come in and look at me, kick the garbage can and say, you're skating like you got a piano on your back. <laughs> then he'd walk out the room. I, I would get so friggin' angry. I'd go out and I want to hit everything in sight. But there were other guys that would, would, would meet with Al in private. And Al knew exactly how uh, to deal emotionally with having to speak to players and how to get his message across. How did he keep you guys focused on winning? You know, because once yeah. once you start to once you start to win, it becomes an addiction. It really yeah. does. People people want to win in every aspect of what they're doing. When you guys won that first cup, what did he do to keep that momentum going? How did he guys keep you hungry to say you want another one? You better do this, that kind of a thing. You know, uh, <clears throat> Al Arbor, in my view really had an incredible imagination because I had him for 13 years. Unbelievable. But every training camp was different. One training camp, we did transcendental meditation. <laughs> the early 70s. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Transcendental meditation. Uh, you know, another training camp, we go play soccer. I mean, we do different things. And, you know, I remember Al so much by 
simply the fact that we would go through training camp like it was really boot camp because we used to have two weeks of training camp back then. And, you know, uh, we, we didn't play exhibition games until we'd been on the ice for, you know, 10 days. Um, now, if we lost two games in a row in October, our life would change. Change the morning practice from 10.30 to 8.30. Uh, change it to, to 4.30 in the afternoon just to make your life miserable. <laughs> and there was a famous quote by Scotty Bowman, uh, and Al Arbor was, I believe, a player on the St. Louis Blues at the time. And uh, Scotty Bowman had glasses. said to him, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he wore glasses, but, but, but Scotty Bowman said, look, he said, everybody in the world, okay, gets a lunch pail and they go to work for eight hours. All I'm asking you to do is work for two and then you can go. And so that, that was a lesson, I guess, that Al learned from Scotty Bowman in the early days. Uh, but there was no doubt about it. I mean, uh, being a Stanley Cup champion didn't mean that we were going to get extra braces. You know, so what I say, if we lost two in a row in October, the next day probably would not be any pucks on the ice. I mean, it was, you're not going to accept losing. And I think that was the, uh, basically the thing that I learned the most. And also the importance of never taking your foot off the gas. Greatest example of all, Edmonton, 1983 finals. We won the game 2-0. Kenny Moore scored the uh, empty net goal. But then after that, the second game at Edmonton, you know, you'd think they were going to come and blow us out. We beat them 6-3. Never take the foot off the gas. First game in Long Island, game three of the series. I think it was 4-2 hockey game. Never took the foot off the gas. Al wanted that message right from the time the puck was dropped, you know, the opening week of the season. So we were used to winning but more importantly we became very well aware that losing changed our life for the worst so we didn't want to lose how did he define everyone's role on the team did he define roles back then or was it more of just a team concept you know like bossy you're a scorer potfin you're a defenseman no. you know was he was he just he just knew how to just push the right buttons or was he you know, not really into defining your role as a player? Today, everything's so defined. You know, you're a third-line checker, a fourth-line checker. You're a scorer. You're a penalty yeah. kill expert. You know, back then, it seemed like he just knew what to do with each player, like a chessboard. He was way ahead of everybody. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I go back to Bill Torrey and uh, 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 pro scouts. I mean, Jimmy DeVolano, I mean, you know. <laughs> It was much later in my career, after my career, that I found out that Jimmy Devolano was in Ottawa watching me play hockey as head of the scouts for the New York Islanders in 1970, when I was like 16 years old. You know, uh, he, he was watching me as an NHL scout back then. Uh, defining the roles were... Al Arbor didn't have to do it because Bill Torrey would draft the right player. Now, there's no question, great example, Brian Trache came in the league in 1975. He immediately made an impact as a sentiment. Al Arbor, I'm sure, many times went to Bill Torrey and said, look, this is what I think we need. We need a goal scorer. 
there, there was a guy named uh, Saracino who was a great scout, and he was scouting the Quebec area for junior players. And uh, there was this kid, he said, if you want a pure goal score, you got to do Mike Bossy. You know, he was scoring 60 goals a year. But they said he's not the greatest skater of the ball, and that was kind of the report on him. Well, we went and got Mike Bossy. That was the end of that story. <laughs> and between Trotch and Boss, you know, as good as a tandem as you could possibly have, you know, uh, on the line. So uh, between Bill and Al and the scouting staff, starting 73, I'm a Hall of Famer. 74, Clark Gilley's a Hall of Famer. 75, Brian Trotch is a Hall of Famer. 76, 77, Mike Bossy, he's a Hall of Famer. Billy Smith, Hall of Famer. The first five years, we're drafting guys that eventually all became Hall of Famers. So, you know, that's where building the team uh, was so important through the draft. And that's why when the banner is hung up, you know, at the UBS arena right yeah, now, yes. you know, Bill Torrey with a bow tie, it yep. says, you know, beautiful. And, and true, absolutely true. I'm going to toss out guys you played with. Give me your first thought on what you think of them as a player and, and what they brought to the table for you guys. Mike Bossy. <clears throat> well, Mike Bossy was exactly uh, what, what we had talked about. He was a pure shooter. But he wasn't – he was not, not disciplined defensively. I watched a video of the 1980 Stanley Cup Finals against the Philadelphia Flyers. And somebody caught my eye, and it was Mike Bossy on the left side of the screen, which was the right side of the ice. Now, Mike Bossy defensively, he wasn't going to hit people. He, was, you know, he wasn't blocking shots. But I watched him time and time again. As the puck got into his zone, he would skate right in front of the opposing forechecker, just be there, and made the forechecker go around him. And I watched this over and over again in that one game. And, of course, during the season and while I'm on the ice with Mike Bossy, you know, if I had to fight out two guys, got a hold of the puck, you, you need to be able to find that guy that was open. And a good – just a look up the eye, Bossy was always – for some reason, was open. Boom, they would pass for the puck. He, he was phenomenal on both ends of the ring. Bob Nystrom. Well, Bobby scored that big goal, but, you know, uh, in 1990, uh, 1972, Bobby played some games with the first teams and literally one older than us, but Bobby Nystrom was part of a line when I first got there. They had just drafted Andre Saint Laurent, who was uh, first pick of the second round, I believe. Uh, Gary Howitt was a member of the, uh, the Islanders at that point, and Bobby Nye. Those three guys, we would kill as defensemen to be able to go on the ice with them. They were unbelievable. Tough. They would be aggressive. They would go after the other team's defense. It was a pleasure to play with them. And Bobby Nystrom never hesitated to do what he felt was needed. And I won't, I won't say a role because we never expected anybody to be the fighter. I mean, look at the guys that were great at it. You know, Clark Gillies, you know, Bobby Nystrom. Uh, we had Gord Lane. We had plenty of guys that could fight. But the point was is that Bob would do whatever we needed that he could give up. A great player, 
that he was. He's, he rightly scored the biggest goal in our history. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, Mr. Long Island. Love <laughs> yeah. Great, great teammate. Great guy. Yeah. Billy Smith. Well, Smitty had uh, two personalities, you know. Uh, uh, there was one when uh, Billy is social, and I'm sure you've met him at some point. Just yep. a great guy. Loves to laugh and loves to have a good time. Has a lot of good friends. But when it came time to come in the dressing room, he wouldn't talk to anybody, and nobody could talk to him. He was almost in a trance. And I sat right across from Smitty. And if I wanted to say something to Smitty, you know, while we're dressing or anything, you know, how are your kids? How's Deb? You know, and all this stuff. You know, you couldn't, he would not even look at you. And he was fully dressed. His focus was incredible. And when we played, like I told you a little earlier, it was very easy to talk to Smitty and, you know, say, what can I do most? And I remember Smitty making a point one time. He said, look, I, I, well, he said, the way I recall the conversation is, he, I said, he said, Denny, make sure you tell all the defensemen, okay? If you go down to block a shot, you know, make damn sure you block it because I'm assuming the shot's going to come high. Wow. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a hell of a deal. So rather than that, I would tell guys, don't block shots. You know, don't, don't, because I always felt that if you block, like, I think Bobby Orr may have said it at some point, you know, uh, in his career about his, the way he played defense. And he said something that I totally agree. And you look at Paul Coffey, you look at Larry Robinson, Ray Bork, you look at all the guys that played Lindstrom. They didn't block shots. And there's one reason why <laughs> you can't lose your feet. Your responsibility on defense is to stop the attack, get to the puck and move it out of your own zone and start an offense. If you block a shot, you don't know where the puck's going to go. And that's why Billy Smith made the important point. If you're going to go down for a shot, you better block it because I'm not going down. I'm staying up, figuring the shots coming up. Uh, Billy was quite a mind, quite a mind in terms of the game of hockey and could have played a hundred games a year. But <clears throat> a lot of people don't know throughout all of those four years that we won the stand up, and went into the finals in the fifth year, Billy Smith never played more than 40 games in any one year. But when the playoffs started, Al had him start the playoffs. He was our, he was our guy in the playoffs. Butch Goring. <laughs> well, <clears throat> everybody prays, you know, come March 3rd, here's the trade deadline. You know, uh, there are a lot of teams that would love to get a guy that would solidify you know, your, 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 uh, your top lines and Butch, I never liked, I never, even when I broadcast, I, I would try and stay away from saying first line, second line, third line, fourth line, because especially now the balance is so great. We had a young guy named Brent Sutter who was a young player. And, uh, we had a couple of very good players, uh, uh Mike, uh, Kizicki, who we mm -hmm. traded for Gord Lane. But they were a long way, really. No offense, but they were a long way from Brian Tranche. So, but we had all the wingers we wanted. We had Bobby Bourne, JT, Clark Gillies, on and on. So Bill, again, you know, being the architect and scouts looking around, they, they uh, brought in a guy that had won 
uh, Butchie was on a American League championship team. As a matter of fact, playing with my brother, Jean. So Patsy was asked about, you know, who is this guy? And um, so when he joined the team, he immediately was slotted as a second centerman. Of course, he played with Dwayne Sutter and Clark Gillies. Oh, Butch is a little guy. He doesn't want to yep. get in the corner. You know, I mean, he does what he does. And I tell you what, it just immediately, it worked for two reasons. His hockey ability, sense of the game. I think he had scored 20 goals in a row with LA, with LA. But in the dressing room, he was great. Because you got to remember, he was a little older than the rest of us. And we may have been playing a little tense. And between he and my brother Patsy, you know, who had been brought back from uh, an earlier trade in 78, it just changed the whole atmosphere of the dressing room. And then his play was great. So Butchie was, every year his, his name comes up. Every year I get a call around trade deadline. You know, who do you think uh, Butch Gorey the type deal will happen now? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You know, no. so anyway, Butchie was, uh, and still, we're, we're all very good friends. We have this great alumni every year. Thank God for the new ownership. And I think it was over 60 alumni that yes, was in New was. York the whole weekend. Yeah, it was great. I'm Chris Riley, and you're listening to Flex Coaches Inside the Game. We're talking with Hall of Famer Dennis Poffin. Tune in for all the great episodes here with Dennis.